What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. I'm your host, JT. We got a really loaded episode tonight. We got my guy, Juice, coming on. We're going to be previewing and giving our predictions for the Thanksgiving matchups that are going to be coming up this Thursday on Thanksgiving. But we're also going to talk about a couple of other topics. Can the Browns make it to the playoffs with DTR? Should the Atlanta Falcons trade for quarterback Justin Fields? Can't wait for him to come on. But before we get into him coming on the episode, there's a couple of things that I want to touch on. I want to give my thoughts on a couple of NFL games that really have my attention. <clears throat> Jags, Texans, Bills, Eagles, and Florida State, Florida, Oregon State, Oregon are the two college football games that I'm going to be touching on before my guy Juice comes on. Appreciate all you guys that are tuned in to the live chat. If you haven't already, leave a like, subscribe to the channel. Make sure that you check out the JT Sports Podcast. We're not just a YouTube channel. Every episode of the podcast that's uploaded on the channel is available in audio format on all podcasting platforms. Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts from, the JT Sports Podcast is available. Most importantly, also, leave a like, subscribe to the channel, but share the podcast, share the pod, share the channel with your friends, family members, and acquaintances. If you enjoy, give the podcast a five-star review on Apple and Spotify. Let's get into it, man. So, we got the Florida State Seminoles going up against the Florida Gators in the swamp. We got the battle of the backup quarterbacks, man. So if you haven't known this already, Jordan Travis, he's out for the remainder of this season. His FSU career is unfortunately done because he suffered a really devastating and nasty leg injury and they're winning against North Alabama. And Graham Mertz, he has a collarbone injury that he's dealing with that's going to sideline him for this game. So we have Max Brown, who is a freshman quarterback for Florida, going against Tate Rodermaker. For Florida State, you would love to see them come into this game and dominate, especially being able to blow out a team like Florida on the road in their own home territory. Florida, they're trying to be bowl eligible. And them going 5-7 and seven would probably be a huge disappointment. And many Florida fans aren't really happy with what they've seen out of Billy Napier in his first couple of years with the program. The defensive coordinator that they hired, Austin Armstrong, looks like a huge whiff. Florida State with Tate Rodermaker, they look like they can still be really good. And when I was watching back that game against North Alabama, Tate Rodermaker... He kind of looks like a discount value version of Trevor Lawrence in a sense. He's a little bit tall and lanky, but he does have pretty good athleticism. And plus, he's throwing to one of the best receiving cores in all of college football. You got Johnny Wilson, Keon Coleman. Let's not forget about tight end Jaheim Bell. And I'm expecting Tate Watermaker to have a really good game. Yeah, he's going on the road, hostile environment in the swamp. But at the end of the day, Florida's defense is not good. I mean, they can't stop a nosebleed. They can't stop a fly. They can't stop a roach. This defense, I'm not expecting it to get too many stops, regardless if Tate Rodermaker is getting a big-time start in his first ever big-time game. This is a rivalry game, so I'm not going to make it seem like 
This is going to be a blowout, and I'm not going to make it seem like Florida doesn't have a chance to win this thing. They're playing at home, and plus they got a quarterback that they're going to be starting in this game that many people inside of that Gators program is really high on. Max Brown, this dude is a really talented athlete, and also he looked pretty solid when he came in against Missouri. I'm really excited to see what Max Brown brings to this Florida offense. Obviously, we know that Graham Mertz, he has played at a really high level this year. He has exceeded at least a lot of people in minds, expectations for how he's played this year. But with Max Brown, he brings a different dynamic to the run game. And if Florida's going to be able to pull off this upset, they need to be able to sustain success on the ground. And they went for 200-plus against Missouri last week in that loss. Florida State's run defense is around the middle of the pack. They're 41st and rushing yards per game allowed. Florida, really the key to them winning this game is that you got to make sure that you don't overly rely on Max Brown. Okay, you don't want to put too much on his shoulders, especially when you're going against as talented as a defense as FSU is. With Max Brown, with how good of a runner he is, you should be able to lean into that, kind of use that running ability of his to ease him into the game. And then you try to get a couple of deep shots downfield via play action. Florida State's run defense, I don't think they're going to be able to completely neutralize Florida's rushing attack. I'll be really surprised if Florida doesn't reach at least 100 yards rushing in this game. They got one of the more underrated running back groups in all of college football. Now, defensively for Florida, this game is going to be a struggle for them. Regardless how you feel about Tate Rodermaker being the backup and going on the road, I mean, yeah, going on the road, it does bring you a couple of complications when it comes to being able to get the plays in, being able to get the snap off and whatnot. But I don't really think the home crowd is going to affect him too much because at the end of the day, the defense still needs to show up and do their job. And Florida's defense hasn't shown up and did their job all season long. And I doubt that's going to happen in this game. But if let's say Tate Rodermaker does start this game out cold, right? Well, Florida State, they're not a one-dimensional team. They can beat you not just throwing the football, but they can also destroy you on the ground. So it's pick your poison. And Florida's run defense, they're not that great neither. Florida doesn't really do anything well defensively. And that's why I got a lot of confidence that Tate Rodermaker should be able to have a really good game. The only way Florida State loses this game is if they, for one, have costly turnovers, a lot of penalties, and let's say Tate Rodermaker just isn't good, he's garbage, he isn't it, then Florida State is going to have some problems. I'm picking FSU to get the win, though. I don't really think this game should be that big of a struggle. As a matter of fact, I like doing that minus six and a half. That's one of my best bets of the week. Florida, the fact that they have Max Brown in there does bring a little bit of intrigue there with his athleticism. And the fact that Florida State's run defense hasn't proven that they can completely shut down the team that has a top rushing attack. But also at the same time, Florida, they have a pretty young group of wide receivers outside of Ricky Pearsall. They don't really have nobody who you can consistently look at and depend on on a let's say if you're in a third down situation and you're looking for a safety blanket if Ricky Pearsall's covered then who are you going to throw to meanwhile for Tate Rodermaker this FSU team is way too stacked for him just to come out here and have a shitty performance like I get that 
playing in the swamp is a really tough environment. But it's not like that defense is good enough to really make it a game where Tate Rodermaker really should struggle. So give me FSU to win 31 14 is my final score prediction in this game. I'm going with the Noles for the win. We got the Jaguars taking on the Houston Texans, man. If the Texans win this game, they can snatch first place in the AFC South from the Jacksonville Jaguars. And the last time these two teams played, Houston beat the shit out of Jacksonville. Like, absolutely obliterated these boys 37-17. It was one of the most surprising results that I've seen this season. And the thing about Jacksonville is that although they got one of the best records in the AFC, sometimes this team can be really inefficient and they can't play down the competition. And sometimes they just choose not to show up at all, like against the San Francisco 49ers. That was a game where I guess they kind of just woke up on the wrong side of the bed and they got blown out. But when the Jaguars were playing their best football, you get the result that you saw last week when they annihilated the Tennessee Titans and when they beat the Pittsburgh Steelers on the road. This game, Jacksonville started out as a two-point favorite. I think the line is now down to one, one and a half. The Texans are a team that, although they're very young, they're super talented. C.J. Stroud is playing at an MVP level. And the rushing attack for Houston has started to emerge over the last couple of weeks with Devin Singletary. Now, although C.J. Stroud has been a phenomenally as a rookie quarterback, this is the greatest performance that we've ever seen out of a rookie quarterback. He's kind of started to have a little bit of the turnover-itis. He had three interceptions against the Arizona Cardinals. And after the game, when they asked him about those interceptions, he was like, man, shooters got to shoot. Like Steph Curry, even when he misses a couple, he got to keep shooting. And look, I get that, C.J. Stroud, you know, you got to keep shooting. But at the same time, like, don't just be making reckless throws that end up costing your game because, you see... Houston was able to overcome C.J. Stroud's three turnovers because of how well their defense played against the Arizona Cardinals. Now, the Arizona Cardinals are not that good of a team. You have three turnovers against the Jacksonville Jaguars, they're going to make you pay. When you go back and you watch C.J. Stroud's three interceptions, though, two of them wasn't really on him, but the other one was a pretty bad mistake on his behalf. This Jaguars offense, though, they got to show up and show out in this game because they didn't show up in the first game. And if this Jags offense has the same performance in this game that they had the first go around, this game is probably going to go in a similar direction that the first one occurred in. And Houston's offense, I don't think the Jaguars defense is going to shut them down. The Jags defense, they are really good at first in turnovers. They're like the best team in the NFL at coming away with takeaways, but they don't have a consistent pass rush. Houston's offensive line isn't that great, but the fact that the Jaguars offense, you know, is able to at times be able to be a little bit lethargic is going to put their defense in situations when their defense is going to have to be able to come away with a big stop. And I don't really know if they have the ability to do that because they don't have a consistent pass rush. And with how inconsistent this pass rush has been, how are you going to find ways to get this dude C.J. Stroud off the field? C.J. Stroud is a top five quarterback. Anytime you're going up against an elite quarterback, the key to being able to get wins and be able to get those guys off the field is by having a really great pass rush, something that we haven't seen out of Jacksonville for the majority of this season. 
This defense has to find a way to get consistent pressure on C.J. Stroud, ruin his timing with these wide receivers. And also, Jacksonville's red zone defense, they're going to be really big in this game. Houston, their red zone offense isn't that great. That's going to be a key element to the Jacksonville Jaguars being able to come away with the W in this game. If you can allow C.J. Stroud to drive down the field on you, you're okay with that. But once they get into the red zone, if you can hold them to three points, that's huge. Now, I don't believe that Jacksonville's offense is going to get shut down in this game. As I said earlier, this is a team that is really inconsistent. One game, they'll play really well. The next game, they could come out and stink it up. But for the most part, this is one of the better offenses in the NFL. They got Calvin Ridley, Christian Kirk, Zay Jones. They got a really good group of wide receivers. Travis Etienne has been a revelation at running back for them this year. So there's too many weapons for this Jags offense to have the same performance that they had when they lost 37-17 in week three. But at the same time, though, you have to be able to find ways to get touchdowns in the red zone because we talked about how Houston's red zone offense isn't really that great well Jacksonville's offense in the red zone is even worse they have one of the worst red zone offenses in the whole entire NFL and that's a big reason why they kind of get in trouble at times you see when you're going up against a quarterback like CJ Stroud you got to be able to come away with seven points when you get inside that red area you see, C.J. Stroud is a top five quarterback right now, and some of you Jags fans may disagree with that, but I'll take C.J. Stroud over Trevor Lawrence, and I know you guys are really going to get pissed off with that statement, but the reason why C.J. Stroud is better than Trevor Lawrence, in my opinion, is because he's consistent. And also, he takes better care of the football than what Trevor Lawrence does. Sometimes Trevor Lawrence, when he gets pressure in his face, he just kind of unravels, and that's been my biggest knock on Trevor Lawrence. Anytime he has to go up against a really good pass rush, he isn't the same player that he is when he's throwing from a clean pocket. Meanwhile, C.J. Stroud, this dude is cool, calm, and collected at all times, even with pressure on his face, and what's really impressed me the most about C.J. Stroud is how accurately he's able to throw the football on the run. C.J. Stroud is a quarterback that He's not going to have too many mistakes. He had three interceptions against Arizona, but two out of three of those things weren't his fault. And you're not going to really have too many games when C.J. Stroud is turning the pace getting over. The Jacksonville Jaguars, their defense the last two seasons has been more based on being optimistic, getting big takeaways and big moments. But this is a game where their defense has to show up for an entire 60-minute game. You see, we didn't see this defense show up against the 49ers. They got shredded. And when you're going up against the Houston Texans, if you can't find a way to get stops on C.J. Stroud and you just allow this offense to go up and down the field on you, it's not a winning recipe for success. Because Trevor Lawrence, I don't know if I trust him as much as I trust C.J. Stroud. I feel like he's going to have a couple of throws here and there that he's probably going to throw to the Houston Texans defense. This is a really big game for both of these teams. For Jacksonville, you need to win this game so you can stay in control of the AFC South and you can have a home-field first-round playoff game and also stay in contention for the number one seed, which Baltimore currently has firm grasp of. Meanwhile, for Houston, you need to win this game not just so you can take control of the AFC South, but also so you can stay in the playoff picture because right now, 
the Houston Texans have the sixth seed. But if they lose this game and the Steelers win against the Cincinnati Bengals without Joe Burrow and the Buffalo Bills can find a way to upset the Philadelphia Eagles, you can find yourself on the outside looking in of the playoff chase and you won't be able to control your own destiny unless you get some additional assistance from maybe Pittsburgh slipping up and losing a couple of games or whatnot. But this is a very big game for both of these two teams, the Jaguars, Texans. This is pretty much a playoff game. And who would have thought that before this season began that the Texans would be playing a game of this big of a magnitude late in the season. I had the Texans winning seven games. I even made a video during the offseason saying how they were being incredibly slept on. But I didn't expect the Texans to be as good as what they've been up to this point this season. And the main reason for that is because how well C.J. Stroud has played this season. And I'm going with the Texans to get the win. I think that C.J. Stroud is going to make the necessary big throws to put the Texans in position to win this game. Because I do expect this to be a really close game. And it really can come down to whichever one of these quarterbacks has the ball in their hands last. You put it in Trevor Lawrence's hands last, you, you're pretty comfortable with his ability to put you in position to win the game. C.J. Stroud, same thing. It's just that I trust C.J. Stroud a lot more because he's played at a more consistent level than Trevor Lawrence this year. And plus, Trevor Lawrence at times, he just tends to be too nuclear for me. It's like when he's on, he's on. But when he's off, like he's off. He, he's like ice cold. So give me the Texans to win. 27-24 is my final score prediction for this game. Oregon State is traveling to Eugene, Oregon, looking to derail their arch rivals playoff hopes. Oregon is a 13 and a half point favorite heading into this game. For Oregon State, man, they need more out of DJ Uyunglele. Okay, DJ Uyunglele may be the best not good quarterback that I've ever seen in all my years watching football. Like, the dude isn't bad, but he's not great. And what makes DJ Uyunglele hard to watch sometimes is that certain moments in games, he'll just throw the football. It's like he just gets the snap, he drops back, and he just throws it to somebody. And last week against Washington, he didn't have a great performance in my opinion, at least throwing the football. He was really good when it came to running the football, which is a big key to Oregon State being able to win this game. But at the same time, Oregon State isn't going to be able to win this game the same way that they did last year. The last time these two teams played, Oregon State was on the winning end of things. And it was a really weird game. Like, they won that game on special teams and the run game. They didn't even need their quarterback to throw the ball too many times. Well, this is an Oregon team that most people consider to be one of the most complete teams in college football. And when you're going up against Oregon, you can't just be a team that is just one-dimensional. And Oregon State's offense really runs through Damian Martinez. Everybody pays so much attention to DJ Uyunglele. Like, he's not the best player on this offense. If you really watch Oregon State, you know that Damian Martinez is the heart and soul of this team. And if Oregon can slow him down in this game, which they have a really good chance at being able to do because they have the eighth best run defense in college football, Oregon State's going to be in trouble. Oregon State isn't a team that's built to win by throwing the football. Last week against Washington, they really struggled to generate plays downfield in the vertical passing game. They don't really have bad receivers, but the receivers are really small. They don't really do a great job at creating separation on their routes. 
If this becomes a game where Oregon has to rely on DJ Uyunglele's arm to win, this is probably going to be a blowout. But if Oregon State can have a similar game, similar to what they had last week against Washington, this is a game that can be pretty close. You see, when Oregon State won in a halftime against Washington and they were down, it looks like Washington was about to run away with the game. But in the second half, this defense really showed up and they shut down that Huskies offense. They held them to no points in the second half. This defense is good enough to keep them in this game. Oregon has one of college football's most explosive offenses, and that's really due in part to how well Bo Nix has been. And Bo Nix really needs to have a great performance against this defense so he can solidify himself as the front runner for the Heisman as we enter conference championship weekend next week. And if Oregon loses this game, I read something that said that Arizona has a chance of being able to steal their spot in the Pac-12 championship. So Oregon, their offense... I don't think they're going to be able to go up and down the field at will like we've seen them demonstrate plenty of games being able to do that. This Oregon State defense, they were able to slow down Washington's offense in the second half. And if you can slow down Washington's offense, you can pretty much do the same thing against Oregon because their offense is just as good. And there's not really an offense that really is better than Washington's and Oregon's, in my opinion, this season. These are the two best offenses in college football. And for Oregon State to have the defensive performance in the second half that they did gives me a lot of the confidence that they're going to be able to replicate that despite them going on the road to Eugene and Autzen Stadium. And I like the fact that for Oregon State, you got a really good pass rush. You see, when Bo Nix is at his best, he's able to improvise. He's getting outside the pocket. He's buying time for guys to get open downfield. Oregon State has a really nice secondary and a good enough pass rush that they should force Bo Nix to win this game from inside of the pocket. Now, Oregon, I really like the running back. Bucky Irving, if he's eligible for next year's draft, he's going to be my RB1. This dude has great contact balance, fantastic vision, and it's really hard to get this dude down to the ground. He's one of those running backs that doesn't go down off initial contact. It normally takes like two or three guys to bring this guy down at times, and sometimes he plays a lot bigger than what he's listed as. He's not the biggest, most imposing guy, but the way that he plays, he's not shying away from contact. He's not looking to run away from you. This dude is looking to run through you. I really love Bucky Irving. He's one of my favorite players to watch and I think that Oregon is probably going to have to lean on him a lot in this game if their offense kind of starts to stall because Oregon State has a really good defense. F what the statistics say, like this is one of the better defenses in college football. They're great on all three levels, linebacker, defensive line, and in the secondary. This is one of these defenses that they don't really give up too many big plays downfield. They do have pretty good communication on the back end. Their corners are really physical. And if you can shut down Washington's offense and hold them to zero points in the second half, that's not luck. That's just a testament to how good of a unit you have on that side of the football. And I know Oregon fans are probably going to feel differently, but let's not act like there's a big difference between Oregon and Washington's offense. You see, Oregon State, they just need to find a way to put 27 points on the board. 27 points is the magic number for the Beavs offense in this game. And 
I don't think it's going to come easy for them because Oregon's defense is just as good as Oregon State's defense. And that's what makes Oregon one of the scariest teams in college football right now. There's a reason why you hear people every week say, man, Oregon's the team that you don't want to play. You don't want to play them because not just do they have a great offense, but they got a great defense as well. But even though they got a great run defense... Oregon State, with how great their offensive line is, they can run on pretty much anybody. It's just that in a game like this, you got to be able to be multi-dimensional. You got to be multi-faceted on offense. And you're not going to beat teams like Washington and Oregon by just being able to run the football all game. Yeah, we know Damian Martinez is one of the better running backs in college football, but they got to find ways to get that passing game going. And they don't really got a lot of talent at wide receiver. They're not deep at that position. If Oregon puts Oregon State in a situation where they got to come from behind the win by throwing the football or that run game isn't going at all, they're in trouble. That's why I got to take Oregon to win this game. I think that Oregon State, the only way they can keep this game close is by relying on great defense and being able to have a big game out of Damian Martinez and I'm pretty confident that Dan Lanning and that coaching staff for the Ducks they're not going to allow Damian Martinez to run all over them and they're not going to allow him to take control of this game because when you can slow him down you pretty much can shut down Oregon State's offense DJ Uyunglele he's one of the best good bad quarterbacks that I've ever watched that's the only way I can describe him it's like he's not bad but he's not good and certain moments during the game last week he missed wide open wide receivers downfield he doesn't really have great accuracy he's a really good athlete you know he's really good running the football he had some really spectacular runs against Washington but at the end of the day you still have to be able to play complimentary football and I don't really think that Oregon State is going to be successful at being able to accomplish that mission in this game give me Oregon with the win 34 20 is my final score prediction for this matchup we got the Buffalo Bills traveling to the city of brotherly love to take on the Eagles man the Eagles got a big win Monday night against Kansas City and that defense had the best performance that they've had all season long Look, we get that Kansas City doesn't have a lot of talent at wide receiver, but anytime you can keep Patrick Mahomes from scoring during the last two minutes of a game, your defense deserves a lot of praise. And you're going up against the Buffalo Bills who really need to win this game so they can stay in the thick of the playoff chase. And the Bills, with the loss here, that would be incredibly devastating because the AFC is so stacked that there may be a team that wins 10-11 games and still gets left out of the playoffs, and Buffalo just might be that team. Now, last week, after they fired their former offensive coordinator, Ken Dorsey, they named Joe Brady their interim offensive coordinator, and I said that Joe Brady wasn't going to fix too many of the Bills' problems. Well, Buffalo fans took that personally, and when they destroyed the New York Jets last week, they came on that video, they've been talking hella smack, and listen, the New York Jets got a really good defense, but their defense was put in a tough situation because Zach Wilson is awful, and that offense couldn't get anything going, so that defense was on the field for way more plays than what they should have been, and the Buffalo Bills were able to take advantage of that. When you're going up against the Philadelphia Eagles, however, you're really going to have a truly good test 
And we're going to see just how good of an offensive coordinator Joe Brady truly is. You see, Josh Allen, it's not the fact that this dude is having a down year. Like, he's still having one of the better seasons out of any of the other quarterbacks in the NFL. The only downfall with Josh Allen is that he hasn't done a great job at taking care of the football. And I don't really think it's a play calling thing. I really just think at times Josh Allen plays too much hero ball. And that's what gets him in trouble. You see, when you're going up against the Philadelphia Eagles, though, you can't afford to have any costly mistakes because they're going to make you pay. And with how good this offense is, even though we didn't see it last week, this is a Philadelphia Eagles offense that when they're going, they're one, they're one hard offense to stop. Like they can beat you in a variety of different ways. You especially have to find ways to keep Philadelphia from getting into third and shorts because they're just going to tush push you to hell. And the Kansas City Chiefs last week, they did a really good job at limiting the amount of third and short opportunities that Philadelphia had because they were sending a lot of pressure on Jalen Hurts on first and second downs and Philadelphia's offensive line this season is not as good as what it has been in years past. Kansas City alone in the first half had like four or five sacks. Chris Jones was wrecking havoc. The Buffalo Bills, they got one of the more underrated defensive lines in the NFL. Everybody talks about Von Miller, how he's kind of having a little bit of a quiet impact, but they got plenty of other talented players on that defensive line who can get pressure on the quarterback also. You see, the big thing for Buffalo in this game is going to be, can you find a way to make sure that you don't have any turnovers? That's going to be really big. And two, can you continue to have the Philadelphia Eagles passing attack struggle this week like how they did last week against Kansas City? Jalen Hurts, he's the leading candidate for NFL MVP this year, but I don't really understand why. He hasn't really played at an MVP level this year. That doesn't mean that he hasn't played good, but he just wouldn't get an MVP vote for me, especially with how he played against Kansas City on Monday night. When the Eagles were effective is when they had DeAndre Swift going. And if this becomes a game where they have similar struggles to what they did against Kansas City, which possibly could happen because the Buffalo Bills do have a top five defense in the league despite the amount of injuries that they have, you're going to have to lean more on DeAndre Swift. And in the second half, they got away from DeAndre Swift when they really should have ran the offense through him. And the Eagles are a weird-ass team anyway because, like, they don't play their best football consistently. But even though they don't play their best football, they still find ways to win games. Meanwhile, for the Buffalo Bills, it's like, you know, you never really know what you're going to get out of Buffalo. Like, one week... They show you why many people consider them to be a legitimate Super Bowl contender coming into this season. And other weeks you look at them and you say, man, like, what happened to the Buffalo Bills? This isn't the team that I've seen in years past. So which Buffalo team are we going to see in this game? Are we going to see the Bills team that we saw destroy the New York Jets? Are we going to see the Buffalo team that imploded on themselves in the loss Monday night to the Denver Broncos? And this is a must-win game for Buffalo because a loss here, you fall to 6-6, six and six, and if Houston wins, they got two games up on you at that point, it pretty much seems like. This is a really big game for Buffalo. Like, this is a must-win. And this is going to be a playoff atmosphere. You're going against Philadelphia, who is the top team in the league right now. They got the best record in the NFL. And although, like, 
They tend not to play their best football in the majority of games that they play in. One thing about Philadelphia is that once you get into the full quarter with them, that's when they start to raise their game. And Jalen Hurts, despite having an all performance against Kansas City, he had a really big throw downfield to Devontae Smith. He throws one of the better deep balls in the NFL. He's really good throwing the ball outside the numbers. That's why it's really important for the Philadelphia Eagles to get DeAndre Swift going. You know, when they got him going early against that Kansas City game, I never understood why they got away from him. When if they would have continued to get him going, they probably could have had way more success pushing the football vertically. Buffalo, I really think they got a great chance to win this game because, for one, you got Josh Allen, who is still one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Anytime you got one of the best QBs in the league like a Josh Allen, there's not a single game that you don't have a chance at being able to win. But Philadelphia's pass rush, though, it really concerns me. All right, Buffalo's offensive line is not that great. It's been better than what it's been the past two years, but if this becomes... A Hassan Reddick show and you start seeing Jalen Carter popping up it could be a lot of trouble for Buffalo and the Eagles I bet that they're going to do a really good job at keeping Josh Allen in the pocket making sure that he isn't getting outside that thing and getting all these crazy throws and getting these big runs on the outside and Philadelphia has a really athletic defensive line so if Josh Allen gets out the pocket like there's more than a few guys on this defense who are capable of being able to run this dude down before he really gets going in the open field I'm taking Philadelphia with the win you know like Buffalo they're a solid team but I don't think they're a good enough team to be the team like Philadelphia. You know, like, when Buffalo's playing their best football, they're really good. But I haven't really seen too many games outside of that Jets game when the Bills have been able to put it all together. And plus, like, I don't think Joe Brady is really going to be able to solve all the offensive problems that they have. Like, yeah, they had a great performance against the New York Jets defense. That's cool. The Philadelphia Eagles are a different animal. They got a really good front seven. Their secondary has been inconsistent at times. And with the weapons that Josh Allen has, Stephon Diggs and Gabe Davis and you know, who's that rookie tight end that they got going crazy? Don Kincaid. Like, I should know that fool's name because he's carrying my fantasy football team right now. He's kind of low-key saved my season. Philadelphia's pass defense can be a little bit sketchy at times, but with how good that pass rush is, I think they're going to do a really good job at keeping Josh Allen inside the pocket prohibiting him from exiting that thing and creating and extending time because we saw what that D-line did in the fourth quarter against Pastor Mahomes and that Chiefs offense. They gave them a lot of fits, and that pass rush was a large reason why the Eagles' defense was able to hold their own on that final possession that Kansas City had the ball. If the Eagles' defense can slow down Patrick Mahomes and they can keep him from putting this team in position to win, I expect them to be able to do the same thing against Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. I'm taking Philly with the victory. 31-24 is my final score prediction for this game. Now, next up, we're going to have my guy Juice Alert coming on. We're going to be previewing Michigan-Ohio State. We're also going to talk about the Thanksgiving matchups that we have in the NFL as well. And we're going to hit on a couple of topics as well. Before we get into that, if you haven't already, leave a like, subscribe to the channel. Check out the JT Sports Podcast. Every episode of the podcast is available on ideal format on all podcasting platforms. And check out our sponsor. You know, it's called 
galaxy it, it's a galaxy star projector and it is that time of the season where if you're looking for a good gift to give a loved one or somebody in your family you should go ahead and cop them a galaxy star projector you can go ahead and get you one link in the description down below i'm about to run the app before we get into our segment with the juice alert make sure that you check him out as well you can subscribe to his channel in the pinned comment that's right above you go ahead check my guy out he has some really good content See you guys shortly. Man, are you tired of looking at your stale, boring-ass room? You want to know a way you can spice your room up and turn that thing into an out-of-this-galaxy experience? Click the link in the description or pinned comment and grab you a Starry Projector Light. The Starry Projector Light comes with 10 changeable color options, a built-in Bluetooth speaker, 12 and 15 switchable constellations, planets, moons, and stars. Transform your room from a depressing wasteland into a vibrant starry wonderland. The Starry Projector Light makes for a great holiday gift for family, friends, and loved ones. Click the link in the description or pinned comment and get one today and transform your room into a breathtaking starry wonderland. All right, everybody, man, I'm joined with the special guest. We got my guy, Jamal McKinney, host of the Juice Alert podcast. It's been a while, man. What's going on? Hey, man, what's good? How you doing? Hopefully you're doing good. Wow to you, you're doing your thing, you know, still going strong, you know, with the college football and, all, and obviously the NFL content. So happy to be a part of the show, been a part of the show in the past. And yeah, definitely looking to get into some sports, you know, let's do it. Man, before we start, man, you know, Thanksgiving is a couple of days away, man. I need your top three Thanksgiving dishes because you always got the best takes on food. Oh, man. Uh, so I'm just going to go based on my favorites. So I would say, man, um, definitely like a free potato souffle like with like brown sugar and pecans. Like that's like my favorite like side for sure. You know, the, the regular yams are cool, but that's what I prefer. I would definitely say like mac and cheese, like if it's made and prepared right, I would definitely go with that. So that's two. And then I got to have a meat, so I got to go turkey, you know. And people can say turkey is maybe a little bit overrated, but I just feel like most people really haven't had, like, a good turkey, you know what I'm saying? People can say, oh, it's dry, but, I mean, if you prepare it the right way, you know, it can go crazy, you know. I'm not really a ham person. I will eat ham. Um, I'm really a fried chicken person, but fried chicken isn't really necessarily, like, what you think of for Thanksgiving. So I'll go um, turkey and then um, – Sweet potato souffle and obviously mac and cheese. All right. And for dessert, for dessert, like probably like an apple crisp or apple pie. All right, every guy, everybody, check out my guy Jamal McKinney, host of the Juice Alert podcast. We'll have the link to his podcast down in the comment section down below in the description, man. So after Thanksgiving, bro, we got a really good treat on our hand. We got Ohio State taking on Michigan, bro. You're an Ohio State fan. How much pressure is on Ryan Day to win this game? Because you got smacked in the mouth by Michigan the past two years. I'm pretty sure a third straight loss is not going to sit well with you. This is probably the most pressure Ryan Day has been under in his entire career as a Buckeyes like coach. And I even thought last year there was tremendous pressure just because I felt like that was ultimately the year. You know, people can look at you know, the year where Ohio State got to the national championship versus Alabama. Personally, you know, I thought Ohio State had a chance. It was pretty clear, you know, Ryan Day was younger, 
Alabama just was much more deeper. Ohio State was kind of top heavy. You know, even the Clemson year where, you know, um, everyone talks about Ohio, oh, Ohio State, you know, versus Clemson, they kind of got robbed by the officials and whatnot. I really just felt like Clemson was the more experienced team and they executed better. And ultimately, 2019 LSU was going to be tough to beat. But you look at last year, I mean, there really wasn't any excuses, you know. I feel like that if Ohio State could have gotten past Georgia, I know Georgia wrote it, but one of those things where you had a lead and I felt like you were just as good as Georgia. And let's be real, I don't think Ohio State was losing to TCU last year in the half of the championship. And it's one of those things where, you know, at some point, you know, people get mad at me when I, you know, criticize, you know, coaches for not winning right away. Listen, when you're at Ohio State, you get the best recruits, you know, it's, it's a big brand, and you have an advantage. Not like you're at Little Arkansas or something like that where you got to build it from the ground up. No, you inherited a great situation, and it's one of those things where, you know, the expectation is national championship every single year, and at some point, when is Ryan Bay going to get over the hump? It seems like every year it's like, oh, Ohio State on paper looks like they can win a national championship, but, you know, we haven't quite gotten that result yet. And I think this year, you know, the field's pretty wide open. Georgia obviously is pretty talented. But are they as good as last year? I would say no. You, know, you look at Michigan. You know, I think that Ohio State is just as talented as Michigan. And I understand it's on the road this year. But, I mean, I just think that it's one of those things where if Ryan Day cannot win a national championship within the next two at max three years, then you got to maybe start to wonder, you know, is he ever going to go over the hump? So I think that this year, tremendous pressure because – even if Ohio State doesn't win a national championship, you know, Ohio State can lose every single game of their schedule. If you beat Michigan, you at least have done something right, okay? So this is a humongous game. It's a big rivalry. We know this. I personally think Ohio State is going to come out with a W. Even though I am an Ohio State fan, you can say I'm a, a little bit biased. But I just truly think that, you know, Michigan, when you look at them, you know, obviously a pretty physical football team. But the thing is, like, and it's not really necessarily Michigan's fault, but – I thought of, like, Penn State, you know, who have they really faced? And I think that early on in the game, Ohio State's speed and physicality, I think that they'll punch Michigan in the mouth from the jump. But I can see Ohio State getting out to a, you know, 10 nothing, maybe 14 nothing lead early on. I think Michigan, as the game goes on, they'll kind of settle in and make adjustments. And I think that, honestly, Michigan being at home, I mean – So I I think I'm going to go with Ohio State to win the game. Uh, I mean, it's one of those things where if Michigan can force Ohio State to play from behind, then that's really where Michigan is going to be at their best. So Ohio State, I feel like they have to punch first. I think they will. And I think that they'll hold on to the end. But, I mean, this is a game that could go either way, I feel like. You know – Ohio State really has to be able to stop the run in this game. We saw how physical Michigan was the last couple of years. And I don't think Michigan is equipped to win a game when the run game isn't at their disposal. If this becomes a game where they get one-dimensional offensively, you don't have the ground game there, you got to ask J.J. McCarthy to win this game for you. Against Ohio State's defense, I really like their chances. And Ryan Day, you know, he should have these guys really amped up. It really kind of irritated me how pregame, you didn't really hear a raw, raw speech out of James Franklin. Like, 
you know, Ryan Day needs to go out there and get Ray Lewis to come in and give a motivational speech. Like, he should be fired up for this game. You know, pregame, he should be saying, man, we finna come in here, we finna impose our will, and we finna lay these motherfuckers on the dirt. You feel me? Like, I need to see some fire. Like, I need to see some passion. Because when you're going against Michigan, I'm going to give these boys props. Like, they may be cheaters. You feel me? But at the end of the day, anytime you play Michigan, you're not just playing a football game for 60 minutes. Like, you're going to war. You feel me? Like, this is a hard-nosed football team. This is the toughest football team in college football. Like, they ran the football 30 damn times against Penn State. And Penn State at that time, going into that game, had the nation's best run defense. And we know what Michigan wants to do. They want to they want to make it a smash-mouth football game when they can run that bit as many times as possible. They want to keep your offense off the field. But when you look at how good Ohio State's defense has been under Jim Knowles, I really don't think they should get gashed and dominated up front the way they have in previous years. And even last year's game, it, was, it wasn't it was the way people say it was. You know, I do feel like it was a pretty competitive game up until, you know, the fourth quarter. That's when Michigan really started to pull away. The score was a tad misleading. What was that? The score was a, a tad misleading. Yeah, like, I just feel this year, Ohio State, with how good they are defensively, they should be able to make sure that they don't allow themselves to get gashed the way Penn State did in the run. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know how much you can trust J.J. McCarthy, but at the same time, how much can you really trust Kyle McCord? Because I don't think he's that good. I think he's worse than J.J. McCarthy. You feel me? But at the end of the day, the difference between J.J. McCarthy and Kyle McCord is that, yeah, Roman Wilson and the other receivers Michigan has, they're decent. But they don't have a Maserati Marvin Harrison. And it's like anytime Ohio State's offense gets into a bind, they just throw that shit to Marvin Harrison Jr. And he delivers. And Kyle McCord, you also got a Mecca Abuka. But this is one of these games where it really can go either way. You know, like, I honestly don't know who to pick. I know that your prediction, you're going with Ohio State because they're on the road and the fact that, you know, there's so much pressure to get this done. So, you got Ohio State winning. Me, I'm probably going to take Ohio State also, simply for the fact that I can't see these boys losing three times in a row. And I really hope that they give it to Michigan, because this fan base has pissed me off all season long. Like, why are you trying to act like you did nothing wrong? You got caught cheating. You do the crime, you got to do the time. People making it seem like the world's against them. Like, I hate how this team has this victim mentality. Although I do like the fact that they've took this situation, they've rallied behind it, they've used it as motivation. But looking at it from a non-football standpoint, don't try to play victim when you know you were in the wrong. You were doing something that you had no business doing. Like, you never should have been trying to steal other team signs by recording it. You feel me? And I do feel like they deserve every bit of the punishment that they're going to receive for this. And I really hope that Ohio State can once, for, for once in the last couple of years, be able to shut these boys up, man. Because I, I'm just really tired of hearing Michigan fans walk around, they, chose, they chest poked out like they're the best team in college football when they haven't won a national championship. They haven't even won a playoff game. 
You feel me? Like, this is the game that Michigan really has to back up everything that they've been talking. Because although they have beaten Penn State, you can probably say that they still haven't played nobody good because Penn State hasn't looked good. You feel me? And you probably could say the same thing about Ohio State. Like, their best win, you probably could say Penn State, Notre Dame, either one. But we're both taking the Buckeyes to get the win in this game. Now, let's segue to this, right? Thursday, Thanksgiving, 12.30 p.m. Eastern time. We got Packers, Lions. The Packers are a weird team. And it's mainly because you got a weird-ass quarterback. Jordan Love played really good the first couple of weeks. Then, after that, he looked garbage. And then the last couple of weeks, he played some really good football. Now, he was slicing and dicing up Brandon Staley's defense, so don't really know how much credit we can give him for that. But I think it's safe to say that he's playing some solid football over the last couple of weeks. And you're going against a Lions team that's the hottest in the NFL right now. How are the Packers going to be able to stay in this game and pull off the upset? Well, I don't think they're going to win. But I don't think it's impossible for me to be wrong about that. Because when you look at Green Bay, I mean, Detroit didn't look that impressive versus Chicago. Like, let's be real. And, you know, on paper, I think Green Bay is more talented than Chicago. I will say... When it comes to Jordan Love, you know, he needs to just be more decisive. I think that there's a time where when the offense isn't really simplified for him, he kind of, you know, can hold the ball a little bit too long and maybe second guess himself in the pocket. And that's kind of normal with a young quarterback. I really think Matt LaFleur will need to go into the game trying to run the football. Packers fans have been frustrated all year about how they haven't really, you know, relied on the run game. I understand Aaron Jones has been injured a little bit. A.J. Dillon, you know, you can make the argument that he probably was a little bit overdrafted, hasn't really taken the leap forward that Packers fans thought he would. But, I mean, regardless, these are two very talented running backs you have. So I think that, you know, if both of them play, I think that they will really need to incorporate the run game and really just simplify, simplify things for Jordan and really rely on the defense. And Jared Goff, to me, has – I've always said Jared Goff is very underrated. You know, I think that you can make the argument he's – one of, if not the most underrated quarterback in the NFL. You know, this is a guy that at one point went to a Super Bowl, outplayed Drew Brees on the road in a playoff game. He throws a really good deep ball. I don't understand why so many people are so down on Jared Goff. I get it. They may bailed on him in L.A., but I've actually been very impressed with Jared Goff in Detroit. I really have been. But the book on Jared Goff is if you get pressure on him, he looks very, very average. And I think Green Bay has the personnel to get pressure on Jared Goff. So I think that – Run game, defense, limiting the mistakes. I think that that's the whole key for Green Bay. I will take Detroit, though, just because I think they're the more talented team. They're at home. And they're playing potentially for that one seed. I know Philadelphia just won, but Detroit is still very much in the mix for the number one seed. And I just think Green Bay, they're just a very young, inconsistent team. And we don't know what Green Bay team is going to show up. It's one week where Matt LaFleur kind of looks like he has the team prepared. They get a very big win versus the Chargers. But all the Chargers aren't great, but – that game kind of surprised me. I thought I felt the Chargers with Herbert would come in and play better, and they didn't. But it's one of those things where I don't know which Matt LaFleur team is going to show up. Is it going to be a team that's prepared, ready to run the football, be physical, or is it going to be a team that's sloppy and has a bunch of penalties and things like that? So I personally think Detroit's going to win, but I won't be surprised if Green Bay pulls up the upset, but I, I'm pretty confident the Lions will win the game because the Lions have actually played the Packers 
you know, very well the last couple of years. You know, they kind of have Green Bay's number. I think that they match up pretty well with Green Bay because up front they're really good. You know, they have a really good offensive line. They also like Green Bay and love to run the football. And Green Bay's run defense has been very inconsistent all season. And Joe Barry, you know, I just still don't think he's all that great of a defensive coordinator. So, I, you know, as much as I want to say Green Bay has the personnel to make Jared Goff look bad, I don't know if they'll do it. So I'm going to take the Lions to win the game. But I do think that that will be a, a competitive game for at least about three and a half quarters. Then Detroit probably will pull away and win the game. You know, you can't tell that the Lions are a really good team because of the fact that they have multiple turnovers against the Bears, and yet they still were able to come back and win the game. That's a sign that you're a really good team when you can overcome turnovers and still find ways to win despite not playing your best football. I expect for this to be a really competitive game if Jordan Love shows up and he plays the way in this game that he has the last couple of weeks. Detroit's defense can be really inconsistent at times. When you look at their secondary against the Chargers, they were getting exploited. Green Bay has some really solid receivers. They don't have nobody that's world-breaking right now just because everybody in this receiving core is so young. But guys like Jaden Reed, Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, like they have promising futures. But you need those guys to be all world in this game against the Lions secondary that I definitely feel you can take advantage of. If Jordan Love shows up, I like this to be a ball game. And plus, these divisional games, they always tend to be fairly close because you face these guys twice in the season. But like you, I'm taking the Lions. The Lions, their run game has been unstoppable. Now you finally got Jameer Gibbs going. You got Dave Montgomery. That's probably the best one-two punch in the NFL right now. The Lions, they're going up against a defense that struggles against the run. The Green Bay Packers have one of the worst run defenses in all of the NFL. They're 28th in rushing yards per game allowed. And the Lions, they do a really good job at slowing down the run game. So if I had to give a score prediction, you can give yours also. I like the Lions 28 20 is my final score prediction. What say about you? I will go Lions 27, uh, Green Bay 17. Commanders, Cowboys. The Commanders suffered a really shocking loss to Tommy DeVito and the New York Giants. I mean, this defense got shredded, dog. That boy Tommy DeVito went from looking like a jabroni to looking like the future quarterback maybe for New York or at least a serviceable backup for Daniel Jones when he comes back fully healthy next year. But you look at this commander's team, you know, Ron Rivera, any day now, this dude could be fired. And it looks like if the Cowboys cover that 10.5-point spread, that very mill, that very much well could be the nail in the coffin for him. But you remember last time, well, last year, late in the season when these two teams faced off, last week of the regular season, the Cowboys were playing their starters and Sam Howell was able to get these boys to win. And like we talked about earlier with this Packers-Lions matchup, these divisional games always tend to be a little weird. They can be a little bit closer than what people expect. But the Cowboys, anytime they play the team that has a below 500 record, it's kind of been like Alabama going against Alabama State. It hasn't been close. And Dallas has done a good job at beating teams they're supposed to be by a really comfortable margin. 
So it's like, I'm expecting the Cowboys to win. But if the Commanders were to pull off the upset, how does it happen? The Commanders are going to win, I believe, actually. Yeah, I, I'm going with the upset. I know, and it's one of those things where it's mainly because the Commanders look so bad with the Giants. And I just think that it's one of those things where I think Dallas is going to overlook them. I mean, the whole national media is overlooking them. Where's the point spread? Like, and right now, I understand Dallas, you know, has done a great job of like dominating teams like the Patriots and the Rams. Like, when they hunt you first, like, you're probably not going to get back up. That's the thing about Dallas. You know, they're really, really talented to where, you know, when they are on their A game, they're pretty much unstoppable. I wouldn't say unstoppable, but, you know, pretty close to it. But it's a divisional game. It's one of those things where no one's picking Washington. And I think Washington, you know, I've crapped on them. And I've kind of given up on them in their future. But Sam Howell has showed me a lot this year. Now, I wasn't one of those people that felt Sam Howell was going to be a bust or he was someone that couldn't play. I thought I thought, I thought the guy was, had some talent. But – Considering the situation he's been in and the fact that the coaching outfit has been all that great, I think Sam Howell has had a pretty good passing grade this year, and I think that he's going to play well in this game. I think it's one of those things where Washington's defense, even though Chase Young and Montez Sweat haven't been there of late, you know, their defense actually has been playing not too bad. It's really been the offense, you know, up front. Can Sam Howell get rid of the ball quickly, and can they give him some protection? I think it's one of those games where – this will come down to probably who has the ball last. And I think that Washington will keep it close. I think they're going to run the football. Sam Howell will get the ball to his playmakers. And I think Dak Prescott's been a little bit better than people are willing to give him credit for. Outside of the 49ers game, I mean, he's been playing pretty solid football. I'm lower on Dak Prescott than most people. Like, but I got to give him credit. He's actually played pretty well this year. But I think that this game is going to be one of those games where, you know, maybe Dak's inconsistencies show up. And, you know, I think that if Washington can get out to an early lead and force Dak to throw the ball all over the yard, he obviously has the receiver, but Dallas is best when they're a balanced football team. And I think that Washington's going to come in there and get the win. So I'm going to take the commanders to win, actually, in an upset fashion. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take the commanders. You got Washington. I'm going Dallas, man. Ron Rivera isn't a good head coach. And even when they played their best game of the season against Philadelphia and they had the lead in that game, they still found the way to lose it. And Arab enemy, everybody's talking about how good Sam Howell has been. But when you talk to the majority of Commanders fans out there, they make it seem like Arab enemy, he's part of the problem more than he is part of the solution. And of course, like if you fire Ron Rivera, during the season, you want to see what Airbnb can do as the interim head coach because people been wanting him to get a opportunity for the longest. But Sam Howell going against a defense that does a really good job at getting pressure on the quarterback, forcing turnovers. Deron Bland has like four pick sixes on the year. And Sam Howell, the problem with him is that he is really good. But at times, he can be really reckless with the football. And it's not that he can't read defenses. It's just when nothing's there, nobody's open, instead of just throwing the football away or trying to pick up yards with his legs, he'll try to force a ill-advised pass that he has no business throwing. And with how good this Cowboys defense is, I do expect them to have their way against this commander's offense up front. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Dallas have at least five, six sacks maybe in this game. Washington's offense, 
they probably could score like a couple of touchdowns this could be a close game for the first half or whatnot but ultimately I just think with how good the Cowboys are and how talented they are and the fact that this offense can't protect Sam Howell and he can't really be trusted to make great decisions consistently with the ball I gotta take Dallas with the win now 49ers versus Seahawks man this game is huge Seattle they lost to the Rams they got swept by Sean McVay and company but Seattle still is a really talented team it's just that I don't think they've played their best football all season long it seems like they've still been trying to find identity you got the injury to Kenneth Walker you're gonna have Zach Charbonnet who has to step up which he's more than capable and his defense at times you know it looks really good it looks like you know maybe this defense is back to playing at the level they were when they had the Legion of Doom or the Legion of Boom I forgot what they used to call it back then and then at times they have moments when they just get simply shredded and dominated and I'm wondering what Seahawks defense are we going to see in this game because it seemed like when the 49ers were down and out for the count and they were on that three game losing streak everybody seemed to start riding off Brock Purdy and company then they trade for Chase Young they come off the bye week they destroy Jacksonville it's just I feel like there this is a great game that can go either way because I definitely feel like the talent is there for Seattle it's just that the execution hasn't been there and 49ers fans like they want Steve Wilkes gone you feel me like Steve Wilkes every single week since that bye week it seems like he's coaching for his job so what are your thoughts on this game my thoughts are the Seahawks are going to win I think that Seattle, I don't know who's favorite this game. I, I think it's probably the 49ers because they're at home and they 49 is by like, six and a half. Yeah. I mean, even if Seattle doesn't win, I would take Seattle to cover. I, I truly will. I truly do believe that. You know, it really just comes down to Dino Smith. You know, he really hasn't taken that leap forward we thought he would. I mean, he hasn't been bad, but he's been pretty average, you know, and it's honestly something that's concerning because you have the receiver, you have the run game. Off of the line is a little bit better than people give it credit for. And I think Pete Carroll's a, bit, a pretty good head coach. But I think this is one of those games where Seattle at home, I think Pete Carroll's really going to have this team motivated because he knows what's at stake. You know, it's one of those things where they can really truly make a statement. You know, everyone look at the 49ers. It seems like everyone believes the 49ers are an S-tier team and Seattle, they're just kind of a middle-of-the-road potential playoff team. I think that Seattle, talent-wise at least, is a little bit closer to San Francisco than people are willing to give them credit for. And I think that, you know, as good as Brock Purdy's been, I don't think the gap between Purdy and Geno is all that wide. I really don't. And you can maybe say that's a hot take, but Purdy's had some great games, but we've also seen him be outplayed by Kirk Cousins, you know, in a primetime game. And, you know, Kirk Cousins in primetime, he ain't all that great, but he had a great game, you know, a couple weeks ago versus the 49ers. And that, that's the thing I'm looking at, you know. Obviously, the 49ers defense, you know, it's really good. And but I will say that secondary can be forced a little bit if you give the quarterback time to throw. We saw that versus Minnesota where Kirk Cousins had pretty much all day in the pocket to throw and he diced them up. And I think that Seattle has the receivers, they have the run game, and they have a pretty good defense too where I don't think they're going to make it easy for Brock Purdy and the 49ers offense. I think they're going to try to zero in on McCaffrey. 
and force Purdy to actually make some high-level throws. And I, I'm not ruling Purdy out. I'm not saying he's a scrub or he's overrated. All I'm saying is we've seen at times when things haven't been perfect for Purdy, and he's had to play from behind, and he's had to overcome injuries to the team, he hasn't looked all that great. And so I think that it's one of those things where this will be a low-scoring game, I feel like. And I think Geno will just be a little bit better than Purdy. And I think Seattle probably wins somewhere along the lines of 21 to 20. I think they'll be that close. I really do. But I think Seattle can pull the W at home. You know, big primetime spot. I think the coaching matchup is a little bit more even than people are willing to give them credit for. I'm a little bit down on Shanahan compared to most people. He's excellent. But Pete Carroll also is pretty excellent, too. So I'm going to take Seattle to win that game. I got San Fran. Seattle's most impressive win of this season was against the Lions. Outside of that, they got blown out on the road against Baltimore. They lost to Cincinnati and what probably was the worst display of offense all season, minus that Rams performance week one. It's just that the 49ers, it looks like they're right back in the groove. It looks like they're now about to hit that stretch when they start to just get hot and just win out and show everybody why they are legitimate contenders. Seattle, I thought they were dark horse contenders coming into this season, but the play calling hasn't been that great. The execution offensively hasn't been consistent enough for me to really trust them in a game like this. At least I know with San Francisco, Brock Purdy, even at his worst, his worst game was against Cleveland. Outside of that, the loss to Minnesota Monday night, he played really well. It's just that he didn't take care of the football in crucial moments. Same thing when they were going up against the Cincinnati Bengals. But outside of those couple of games, like the last couple of weeks, Brock Purdy has kind of got himself back into the MVP discussion. Not my MVP discussion. I'm pretty sure not yours neither. But people in the national media are starting to get back on the Brock Purdy love train. I still love Brock Purdy. I feel like this season he's played like a top 10, top 11, top 12 QB. I just can't trust Seattle with the way that they play. They don't really play consistently enough at their highest level for me to be able to trust them to win this game. So I'm going with San Francisco, although I do think Seattle will keep it close. I like the 49ers. 24 23 is going to be my score prediction. I think it probably does come down to a last-minute field goal or whatnot. Before we move on, if you guys haven't already, make sure that you leave a like on the live stream, subscribe to the channel. Remember that every episode of the podcast is available in audio format on all podcasting platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcast from. The JT Sports Podcast is available. Check out our guy, Jamar McKinney, host of the Juice Alert podcast. All you got to do is type in the Juice Alert and it will pop up. He has great content over there. Talks NBA, NFL, a little bit of college ball, just a little bit of every sport. There's a little bit of flavor for everybody. So let's segue to some couple other topics I want to hit on before we let you get on out of here. The Cleveland Browns. They got seven wins right now, and with that win against Pittsburgh, they still are right in the mix to make it to the postseason. And when Deshaun Watson got injured, most people, especially people on ESPN, said that their season was over. Me, I don't feel the same way. With how talented this Browns team is, they got arguably the best defense in the NFL. They got enough talent around DTR that they should be able to remain 
in the playoff conversation and I still expect them to be a playoff team when the regular season concludes because their second half schedule is not really that tough you got to play the Broncos this week coming up you got the Rams the Jaguars probably are the toughest game that you have in the month of December then you got the Bears Browns and the Jets to close out and then you got to play the Bengals with it looks like Joe Burrow is done for the season so I don't see any reason why the Browns can at least get the 10, 11 wins and make it into the playoffs. Like I get Dorian Thompson Robinson. He didn't light the world on fire against the Steelers, but he was good enough to get the job done. And you got to remember that the Steelers have one of the best defenses in the NFL. It's just not easy for a rookie quarterback to have success against a Mike Tomlin coach defense. And at the same time, the offensive line, they're down their two starting offensive tackles. You already know about Nick Chubb being out for the season. But Jerome Ford has been really fantastic for the Browns. He hasn't been Nick Chubb, but he's been really productive. And their offensive line still is really good. I felt like they did a really good job at protecting DTR against the Browns. And I like DTR. This dude had a really good preseason. He stunk it up against Baltimore. They sat him for a couple of games. He looked way more prepared against the Steelers. I like his athleticism. And this dude is really tough. He'll, like, on reverses, he'll throw in a block or two. Like, last week, he had a really nice block on the Steelers cornerback that nearly led to a first down and also like he's not afraid to contact when he runs like he's not looking to slide and get down like he's trying to run some shit over I just like Dorian Thompson Robinson and I think that the Browns they may have something with him but what are your thoughts on the Browns chances of being able to make it to the playoffs with DTR at quarterback so I will say in the AFC loaded conference and there's going to be a team that win probably 10 games that will get left out. So there's potential for the Browns to not make it into the playoffs. Listen, I'm a big Deshaun Watson fan, have been since the days of Clemson. You know, I thought he was the real deal. You know, I thought the Browns, I, I'm behind the trade. Hasn't really quite been what Browns fans, or really NFL fans in general, thought Deshaun Watson would be in Cleveland. But it's not like Deshaun Watson was lighting the world on fire. He was getting better. You know, that, that second half versus Baltimore, he was excellent. I felt that that was kind of potentially going to be his turning point for the season where he would start to play at a Pro Bowl level consistently. But unfortunately, he's hurt. We'll see what the future holds for him. Up for him. I'm not out on the phone, but it's kind of looking murky for that trade, I will admit. But in terms of Cleveland right now, there's a reason I picked this team to make the playoffs. And there's a reason why they were my pretty much dark horse Super Bowl contender now. I will say with Deshaun Watson out, even though he wasn't playing great, he's still a starting level quarterback. I mean, this is backup level stuff they're dealing with, you know, currently. But I do think the Cleveland roster is talented enough to hold it down and get into the playoffs and maybe challenge a team. I don't think a team wants to see that defense. You know, my Miles Garrett is very much in the MVP conversation. I was someone that was a little bit lower on Miles Garrett coming into the year. You know, people were saying, oh, he clears TJ Watt. He clears Micah Parsons. And I didn't think his resume necessarily spoke to that degree, at least his body of work. Talent-wise, of course we know that. But this season, like, he's literally lived up to the hype. I mean, this has been one of the best defensive performances I've seen in a long time. I mean, this guy is explosive off the edge. You know, he's great at getting after the quarterback. He stops the run. Like, he checks pretty much all those probably definitely one of the 10 best football players living in America right now, maybe even in the top five. If you say that, I'm not going to get mad at you. But I think that he very much is actually slowly but surely entering that MVP conversation. And 
Cleveland overall, their offer is very good. You know, the receivers are pretty good. Amari Cooper has slowly become one of the more underrated guys, you know. Jerome Ford, you know, he's definitely, um, you know, held it down for Nick Chubb, I would say. You know, the run game is still pretty much there. Like, Cleveland overall, they have a good line. Kevin Stefanski, I've been telling people, he's not as bad as you guys think he is. He's actually not a bad head coach. He's actually, he's in the conversation for coach of the year, in my opinion. You know, because Deshaun's actually been hurt a couple of times even before he recently got hurt, and they were winning games. You know, so I think Cleveland, they, to me, have piled up enough wins to where they're probably going to make the playoffs. You know, I'm not going to stand on it, you know, fully, but right now I'm not going to, you know, go off that pick that I made and say the Browns will be a playoff team. Obviously, Houston is starting to sneak up on people, you know, big game versus Jacksonville. Pittsburgh is still really good. I think Baltimore probably is going to win that division just because it looks like Lamar Jackson is in that MVP conversation once again. The defense is playing well. But I think Cleveland, you know, they're one of those teams where you don't want to face them come playoff time. So I wouldn't say they're a Super Bowl contender. I think most people recognize that. But there's something to build on, you know. Maybe you win a playoff game this season, and hopefully Deshaun comes back next year and, you know, starts to play at the level we think that he can play at. And who knows? This is a Super Bowl window that could be open for the next two to three years. So I think Cleveland, roster-wise, I can't name 10 more talented rosters than the Browns. Probably can't name five. That's just my opinion, though. So, yeah, I think Cleveland, they're a smart bet if you want to say they're a playoff team. I'm not going to hold you. Um, I'm not going to hold that against you if, you if you think they're a playoff team. So, yeah, I think Cleveland, you know, there's definitely something to be had with them. Kansas City lost Monday night 21-17 to the Eagles, and I think their biggest weakness got exploited in that game. You know, they got out to a lead going into halftime. And then in the second half, they just completely got shut down. And outside of Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and Andy Reid and Isaiah Pacheco, when they decide they want to run the football, there's not really anybody who you can really trust on this offense. And especially in late game situations, like we saw, we know how great Patrick Mahomes is. But the fact that the Eagles defense was able to keep him from leading Kansas City to a game-winning score to win the game, I think it shows more about their lack of weaponry offensively. And when you look at how stacked the AFC is, teams like the Jaguars, like they got receivers, they got playmakes. You got Travis Etienne, Zay Jones, Christian Kirk, Calvin Ridley. Then you even got the Ravens with Zay Flowers. Even without Mark Andrews, you still have OBJ, Rashad Bateman, Isaiah Likely. You got a guy named Keaton Mitchell, who is an undrafted rookie free agent out of Eastern Carolina, who's starting to emerge. I just think with how talented and how stacked the AFC is, it isn't a cakewalk like it's been for Kansas City in previous years. Because, yes, we know Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league, but I don't think the gap between Mahomes and the rest of the quarterbacks in the NFL is just so wide. It's like Mahomes still needs a serviceable supporting cast to throw the football, just like how everybody else needs a solid offensive line and solid receivers to make it out and we know Kansas City is a lock to make it to the postseason. They're probably going to win this division, barring something catastrophic happening. But it's just, I don't really see them making out of making it out of the AFC this year. It's just every team in the AFC that's in playoff contention, minus the Steelers and the Browns due to their playoff, their quarterback situation, they got great rosters. They got talent on the offense. Hell, even... The Houston Texans, you probably could make the argument and say that they got a better receiving core 
than the Chiefs. Tane Dell would be their wide receiver one ASAP over anybody. And we know that during the height of the Patriots dynasty, they didn't always have like stack rosters, at least offensively. You know, Tom Brady was winning Super Bowls with Julian Edelman and Chris Hogan. You feel me? But the AFC wasn't as stacked then as what it is now. And with the Chiefs not really having a lot of consistent playmakers, I just don't see how they're going to make it out of the AFC this year, especially if they don't get the one seed. Yeah, I want to quickly touch on Philadelphia just real quick. Um, it's one of those things where in the Super Bowl, you saw Philadelphia jump out to the early lead. And as the game went on, Kansas City was the one making adjustments and Philadelphia was not able to finish off that game. The opposite just happened. So if you're a Philadelphia Eagles fan, you have to feel great about the way they won that game, where you didn't start off great, but you made the adjustments. And this was big because a lot of people had questions about, you know, you know, the coordinators, you know, two whole new coordinators, you know, Brian Johnson. Was it Brian Johnson or that's the name, right? Yeah, was Brian it? Johnson and they got yeah. Deshaun Desai. Yeah, yeah. Desai and Johnson. Yeah. So you worried about having to flip to two new coordinators this year. And, you know, could you have the adjustments made in these big games? So props to Philadelphia. I expected them to win, and they proved me right. I will say when it comes to Patrick Mahomes, the gap is still pretty wide to me based on him and the next quarterback. And it's not based on what Patrick Mahomes is doing right now. It's more so no one really has stepped up. I mean, Joe Burrow this year, you know, Hasn't really looked all that great and has been hurt. You know, Josh Allen, probably going to miss the playoffs. You know, Justin Herbert has yet to win a playoff game, you know. And they ain't going to win a playoff game this year. You know, C.J. Stroud is awesome, but is he quite on Patrick Holmes' level? I mean, the guy just threw three interceptions versus Arizona. You know, he's great. I, I love T.J., but I still think Patrick Holmes, he's very well much to me. And Tua Tagovailoa, I like him, but don't get me started. He's not in Patrick Holmes' category. But either way, I don't think that really matters this year because – as much of an advantage Kansas City has quarterback-wise, the team that is Kansas City might be a little bit overhyped just because you don't see the weaponry around Patrick Mahomes like you've seen in years past with Tyree Kill, best wide receiver in the NFL. You know, Travis Kelsey is still there. He's great. But if Travis Kelsey goes down with an injury, I think they're screwed, offensively at least. I mean, defensively, it's the best defense Patrick Mahomes has had since he's been in Kansas City. And that's actually saying a lot because I think defenses have been underrated in Kansas City over these years. And Steve Spagnuolo, I give him his flowers. You know, he's great. But it's just one of those things where Kansas City never seemed like they were out of game because they had the weapons around Patrick Mahomes. Well, now this year, it seems like all the young guys have failed to step up. You know, Darius Tony. it seems like Andy Reid knows this guy just can't stay healthy. We can only use him so much. So – Who's going to be that guy that steps up with Kansas City offensively? You really don't know who it is. So while they do have the quarterback and head coach advantage pretty much by a landslide, what these guys have to work with is not what they've had to work with in the past. So I do think a team like Baltimore could maybe surprise some people and actually break through this year. I do think a team like Houston, if they get in, maybe could surprise some people, you know. Um, Pittsburgh, I mean, I'm not too sold on Kenny Pickett, but the roster is pretty good. They're well coached. I mean, Miami, I know Miami's kind of more of a finesse team, you know, that I don't really trust them in outdoor weather, but who knows? Maybe Miami can surprise some people. They're very explosive. So I will say I can't count Kansas City out just because 
whenever it seems like you're you're gonna doubt the team, they find ways to overcome. So I think that Andy Reid might have something up his sleeve, coaching wise, to where he's kind of you know just been trying to win games and stay afloat in the regular season and come playoff time, he'll reveal his best his best stuff. And Patrick Holmes actually can elevate under pressure. I will say I'm not quite full on Baltimore just because of their history. I know they've changed the thing with the new coordinator, Lamar throwing the ball over the field a lot more, but it just seems like there's always these games, you know, that Brown game of recent where Baltimore has a big lead, and they find a way to lose the lead. You know, if that was Patrick Holmes and Andy Reid, I don't think they lose that game. And you look at Miami, a little young, you know, Mike McDaniel, you know, Tua Tagovailoa. Tua hasn't even yet played in the playoff game. I know last year Miami made the playoffs, but it would have been nice if Tua got that playoff experience. So I'm looking like who's the team that I trust to come out the AFT. I think by default, it's actually Jacksonville. And this is just by default because I believe in Doug Peterson a lot. This is a guy I don't understand why whenever I see, oh, elite head coaches, Sean McVay, Mike Tomlin, Andy Reid, where is Doug Peterson, people? This guy has won a Super Bowl before with Nick Foles versus Bill Belichick. Like, he's really good. And I think that that 49ers game, people look at it as a negative for Jacksonville. I think it's positive for Jacksonville because – they got punched in the mouth. They recognize right now they can't just win based off of talent. And I think that Jacksonville, on paper, they're pretty much good across the board. The defense kind of worries me a little bit, but I think some of the defensive stats are a little bit misleading because in some of the games, Jacksonville's gotten out to an early lead. They've kind of been playing prevent defense where, you know, they're kind of playing soft coverage. They don't really dial up a lot of pressures. I think Jacksonville's defense is a little bit better than people give it credit for. And I think offensively, if Trevor Lawrence just trusts his talent and Doug Peterson actually allows him to cook, and Travis Etienne is also running the football, this is a team that a lot of people don't want to run into. And I think you saw this past week versus Tennessee. They came out and looked apart. And I think they're going to start to go on a run because Trevor, even last year, kind of got off to a slow start. But we saw the last five, six, seven games of the year, he was playing like a top three quarterback. And we saw versus Tennessee of recent. I know it's Tennessee. But Trevor Lawrence looked like the MVP of the league potentially in that game. He played awesome. I think that they're going to expose Houston this week. I think they're going to go on a run. And I think that Jacksonville is the team that people need to be talking about. Now, will Jacksonville win the Super Bowl? Man, that's tough. Probably not just because of they're facing a team like Philadelphia. I think Philadelphia is a bad matchup for them. I think San Francisco even is kind of a bad matchup for them if San Francisco were to make it. So – I don't know if Jacksonville will win the whole thing this year, but I do think that they can beat a team like Kansas City just by default. Like I, I don't trust a lot of these teams in the AFC just because of Kansas City's track record. But I think coaching-wise and quarterback-wise, Jacksonville can surprise a lot of people because Trevor's the real deal and he's going right. And Doug Peterson is probably the most underrated great coach in the league. I mean, you can maybe disagree with me, but, I mean, name me the next uh, underrated great head coach. I think it's Doug Peterson. I really do. Yeah, man, it's just, you know, with Travis Kelsey, you know, he kind of has started to talk about how he thinks about retirement a lot. He doesn't really look the same like he's looked in previous years. His last couple of games haven't been that great. He had a drop against the Eagles. He had a costly fumble in the red zone as well. And it's just starting to look like he may be slowing down just a tad bit. And it's just... Look, like, I hate how people make it seem like, man, we got Mahomes, so it's like, we making it out. Just because you have Mahomes doesn't guarantee you a spot in the Super Bowl. It's like, he can overcome limitations, more limitations than the majority of other quarterbacks in the league. But at the end of the day, 
like we've seen with guys like Joe Burrow. He was able to overcome having a bad offensive line until the point when he needed his offensive line to protect him. Eventually, there's going to come a point when Kansas City's going to need big plays out of their wide receivers. And, you know, last night when they needed them, they folded. You have to drop touchdown by Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Like, you had Patrick Mahomes who was trying to hit what cam watson for a corner route that got undercut by kevin byard like you mentioned with Kadarius tony he can't really stay healthy scott moore he hasn't really been what they were hoping him to be going into this season it's just eventually there's going to come a point when you're going to need playmakers to step up and teams are playing travis kelsey really well like the eagles played him really well outside of that touchdown and a few grabs like he was pretty quiet so you like Jacksonville. I like Baltimore. I think Baltimore, like, they're the most complete team in the league. You look at their pass rush. You look at the fact that they got a 30-something-year-old Jadavion Clowney who's having his best season ever. Like, the Ravens, minus Lamar Jackson getting injured, they're my pick to make it out. The Atlanta Falcons, they keep playing musical chairs with the quarterback position. And me and you, like, we don't hate Arthur Smith. It's been reported that he's expected to come back in 2024. The ownership believes in him. And I'm not against him coming back for another season. My only thing is, I need you to go out there and get a fucking quarterback. Like, let's stop making it seem like Desmond Ritter has potential. Like, it's 2023. About to be 2024, Juice. And anytime you have a quarterback that you go into a game, you're like, man, all we need him to do is take care of the football, not turn the football over. We don't need him to do much. You don't have a great quarterback or a quarterback that you can win with. You see, if your quarterback isn't good enough to win you a Super Bowl, you need to upgrade your quarterback. And I personally feel this offseason, the Falcons should go out there and trade for Justin Fields. Because let's face it, the Bears, they're probably going to move on from him. Matt Eberflus, Ryan Poles, they're probably going to get the pink slip unless they're able to turn this thing around. And the new head coach, the new GM, they didn't draft Justin Fields. We've seen Justin Fields in the league for a couple of years now. And although I'm pretty sure he has potential to still be a really good quarterback, I'm pretty sure the new GM and head coach is probably going to want to go out there and get Caleb Williams with the number one pick that they're pretty much getting from the Carolina Panthers, gift-wrapped it to him, and start over again. But I still think that Justin Fields is still a really talented quarterback, and in the right situation with the right offensive mind, we could really see his full potential unlocked. And you look at the Atlanta Falcons, Desmond Ritter doesn't take care of the football, doesn't see the field well. You can say that Justin Fields has similar issues, but I just don't really see anything that pops off screen to me when I watch Desmond Ritter that screens at me all like this dude can be it like this dude got benched for Taylor Heineke and now they're going right back to him and he can't even be the best quarterback in a weak division the weakest quarterback division in the NFL like he's gonna outplay by Baker Mayfield you get Justin Fields you arguably have the best quarterback in that division contrary to what people believe Justin Fields isn't the worst quarterback in the league you feel me he's shown that he should at least be a starter at best you feel me? I think that right now he's like a top 16, top 15 quarterback. And with Drake London, Kyle Pitts, B. John Robinson, and you think about Arthur Smith's creativity in the run game, do you know what he could do with a Justin Fields? Like, I would love to see Justin Fields traded to the Atlanta Falcons. And plus, 
you don't have to pay that much for him. His cap hit is only like $8 million. So it's not something that's going to completely deflate you. And I think it's a low-risk, high-reward scenario. And it's not like Justin Fields is going to be terrible. Like, you at least know that you're going to get serviceable play. But the question is, can you get Justin Fields playing at a top-10 level, which I believe Arthur Smith can. And if I was going to put my last year on the line betting on a quarterback, I'd rather it be Justin Fields. So... I agree about Desmond Ritter. Never was a huge fan of him. See, I'm tired of the excuses because here's the thing, people. If you're a Dwayne Haskins or a Trey Lance, I can understand your growing pain because you look at Haskins back when he was at Ohio State, only had one year starting. Trey Lance barely played in college. So I think you have to be realistic about the fact that, okay, these guys realistically need time to develop their role. They haven't played a lot of football. Desmond Ritter played 55 games at the University of Cincinnati. There should be only so many growing pains for you if you've played 50 years in college, brother. I'm sorry. And it's not like they haven't put receivers around you. not like they haven't put good running backs around you. The offensive line is probably one of the more underrated lines in the entire NFL. Now, that, that offensive got- line is bad. Like they're pat- that, that offensive line has taken a tremendous step back this year. I, I will give him that. Okay, that's fine, but but you can't have everything. It's not like they haven't put good players around. You know, you can't have everything. And he's mobile. He can be able to move around a little bit. But the thing is, like, even the defense, the defense really honestly hasn't been that big of an issue in Atlanta. Everyone was talking about, oh, how's Atlanta going to get stopped? One of the reasons why I actually picked the Falcons to make the playoffs was because I felt that Desmond Ritter was going to be kind of like Daniel Jones was last year where he just wasn't going to mess things up. But he's messing things up left and right. I mean, you got to scratch these ingredients and the kitchen man because he's starting to burn the whole thing down you know that he does not look impressive at all he just doesn't he does not look the part you know so get him out of there you know but it's one of those things where when it comes to Justin Fields you know I I'm a big Justin Fields fan but I'm also someone that is kind of honest about the guy and I really honestly somewhat hate some of these narratives in Chicago it always seems like oh Justin Fields plays bad you gotta blame the Bears and I understand it because the Bears don't have the track record but we also have to hold Justin Fields accountable a little bit, too, because he doesn't really see the field all that great. There is some recklessness to his play style. And can he truly be a drop-back pocket passer? That's consistent, okay? You haven't quite seen that. I understand the situation has been, hasn't been all that great, but you look at Justin Fields and his talent, you would think that he'd be able to overcome some of these things and elevate his team a little bit more. So I actually think Chicago, the situation, I don't think it's as bad as people are making it out to be. I think that – I was kind of out on Matt Eberflus like about four weeks ago, but he's starting to have that team play a little bit better. And I felt that this past week, the game plan for Justin actually wasn't all that bad. I don't blame him for the loss. All I'm saying is I think that there's some progress in Chicago. I don't know if they're going to hold on to Justin Fields because if you have the first overall pick, it's hard to pass up on Caleb Williams. As good as Justin Fields is, I think Caleb Williams coming into the NFL, he's just much more refined. Seems like a much more natural thrower of the football. And it's one of those things where Justin Fields legitimately can be an asset for you to improve your team because even if Justin Fields was, let's just say he looked the part. I don't think Chicago is necessarily a Super Bowl contender. So if you're not really in that boat already, you probably just kind of need to move on. So, yeah, I think Justin Fields can make it work in Atlanta. I would be surprised if he doesn't. If he can't make it work in a better situation like Atlanta, then it's kind of on him because, you know, at some point we got to stop with the excuses. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think Atlanta is a good fit for Justin Fields. And honestly, 
I feel like they probably should have drafted Justin Fields in the first place. You know, I felt the Jets probably should have drafted Fields because Zach Wilson, that guy, literally has been benched for Tim Boyle. You're getting benched for Tim Boyle. Do you understand how bad you have to be to be benched for Tim Boyle? The only reason why that guy's in the NFL is because he's Aaron Rodgers' buddy. So it helps to be friends with Aaron Rodgers, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. He is bad garbage. Now, you got Aaron Rodgers in New York, so it's one of those things where that's fine. You know, if he ends up coming back healthy, you're a winner. So, you know, it's whatever. But, yeah, I mean, when it comes to Justin Fields, there's some things he needs to improve upon. I'm not going to just say, oh, it's all, it's all in the Bears because I feel like teams do this all the time. Like, they kind of did this with Joe Burrow, and they said, man, Joe Burrow don't need to go play for no Cincinnati. And what do you know? Cincinnati, you know, you look the part and they build around him a little bit and they get better. So I'm not willing to bury Chicago. It's crazy. I'm defending them. But, yeah, there, there's something to work with with Justin Fields. If they don't have the first overall pick, I don't think they necessarily need to trade up for Caleb. But if they have the first overall pick, then you probably need to move on from Justin just because, you know, you have that asset right in front of you. Caleb is there. And you got to probably just start over. So that's my whole take on it. And when you think about Justin Fields, I know Falcons fans are going to say, oh, well, this dude has had some really awful performances. It's like, but Justin Fields, when he's playing low, he he's really bad. But at the same time, it's like, with Desmond Ritter, I don't think he gives you Justin Fields kind of implosion. But at the same time, like, when Desmond Ritter's playing his best football, he's giving you two touchdowns, and that's about it for about 200 yards. You feel me? When Justin Fields is on... It's he's he's damn near unstoppable on the ground. He's arguably the second best rushing quarterback in the league behind Lamar. Some may argue Kyler's up there as well. But Justin Fields, when he's on, he's on. And if you can have him playing at that level consistently, I mean, there is a reason why this dude was a dark horse MVP candidate coming into this year. And although he hasn't lived up to those expectations, it's just like the highs with Justin Fields are good enough to damn near make you a borderline Super Bowl contender. The highs with Justin with Justin Fields is way better than the highs that you'll get with Desmond Ritter. Now, to close this off, the NFC South has been as bad as what we expected it to be. And it's just been a bunch of mid. Like, the Saints, they currently are leading this division. They're 5-5 five and five right now. But it's like, they're not good. They're not well coached. And then you got the Falcons. It's like they keep playing musical chairs with the quarterback position. And now you play the Saints this week. And then you got the Buccaneers and the Panthers. They're, they're a non-factor. All right, I whiffed on them. But I said a couple of weeks ago, I'm still riding with the Bucs to win this division. I know Todd Bowles is a bad head coach. The defense hasn't looked good. But I trust them a little bit more than I trust the Saints. And that I trust the Falcons because at least they got stability at quarterback. And I'll say that Baker Mayfield has been better than Derek Carr, straight up. Like Derek Carr's had some decent performances, but Baker Mayfield has been consistent for the whole entire season, pretty much. I've been pleasantly surprised by Baker Mayfield. So it's like, I still think that the Buccaneers can turn their season around. This is probably going to be a division that most likely is going to have a team that wins it, that may not have a winning record. Eight wins may do the job. 
I don't see how the Buccaneers couldn't find a way to turn this thing around. Their defense is still pretty good, despite a couple of bad performances. And the Saints, you know, you got injuries to Derek Carr. You got incompetent coaching. The Falcons, they don't know what the fuck they're doing that quarterback. I still kind of trust the Bucs because they got the stability at quarterback. And they still got a pretty talented roster overall. So, I picked the Falcons to win the division. Um, I think I'm probably going to pivot off of that if I were to give another pick right now, just because when it comes to Atlanta, even though the talent on the roster is actually pretty good, they don't really have an identity. You know, one week they're trying to throw the ball over the yard, and they have the playmakers to do so, but you also have B. John Robinson. You know, why are you not giving him more carries? You know, um, one week the defense plays well, one week the defense plays bad. And as look, I don't think Arthur Smith is awful, but he just doesn't seem like he can get the most out of the talent that's on the roster. And people can blame him for playing musical chairs at quarterback. Honestly, he probably really has no choice because when you're a head coach and you realize that a quarterback is not performing well in the locker room to see it, like, he sees right through that, you know. So I'm not in that locker room. So I'm not even necessarily blaming him for playing musical chairs because I feel like he feels like he has no choice. And at some point, he probably needs a scapegoat if he doesn't get the job done. Because, honestly, I don't think Arthur Smith has necessarily been, like, this great head coach, but I don't think he's the problem. So I think that he can be a guy that points to, okay, Desmond is not that good. I have to revert to Taylor Heineke. He's not all that great. So what do you want me to do? So the Falcons, to me, it just, the juice isn't worth the squeeze with them. I think it will come down to the Saints and the Buccaneers. The Saints have been a little bit better than I've given than I'm than I've been willing to admit just because I think the talent on the roster actually is pretty good. You, know, you have some receivers, you have the defense to me, I thought was gonna fall off the team. The defense has been pretty solid this year. And Derek Carr, you know, if he can just play at a steady level and manage the game, this team can actually win. I'm not the biggest Dennis Allen fan. I'm actually probably lower on Dennis Allen than even you are, and that's saying a lot because we we both don't believe in Dennis Allen. But and I think he's the second worst head coach in the league. On, the only dude who takes the cup is Brandon Staley. <laughs> well, I mean, at least Staley got to the playoff last year. But I mean, I'm not a big Staley fan either. But the point is, I actually think I agree with you. I think the Buccaneers will find a way to win this division because you look at their schedule. I mean, they play Indianapolis again. Well, they play Indianapolis the first time, but they play Indy. They play Carolina. They get Atlanta once again. They play Green Bay. They play the Saints once again, and they play the Panthers again. I personally think they're probably going to sweep the Panthers. Now, maybe the Panthers get a little bit better as the season goes on. I think that you know Bryce Young, you know, could get better. But it's one of those things where Carolina probably doesn't really care to win all that much because they're in a position to kind of tank already. So what are they really fighting for? But they can't really tank because they don't have that first round pick. That is true. That is true. But I just feel like Carolina, the juice really isn't in that building. So I don't really see them winning a ton of games. They're probably going to finish with the worst record in the league if I were to bet. I thought, I thought it was going to be the Giants, actually. But the Giants somehow, someway found a way to win this week. And I don't know why. They're not good. Dale Jones needs to get out of there. They need to thank the Kendall. But that's neither here nor there. But, yeah, I think the Buccaneers, you know, Baker has something to do. Because, honestly, if Baker can't get it done this year, this is kind of his last role probably. Because at some point, are we going to keep betting on teams to keep giving Baker chances? I mean, what's the market for Baker Mayfield? Is the team going to take a chance on Baker? Or are they going to take a chance on potentially Bo Nix or Greg May? 
they're probably gonna take a chance on Bo Nix or Drake May. And again, I don't I'm not here to proclaim who's gonna be better or worse. I'm just speaking from an NFL general manager's perspective because they're gonna be on a rookie contract and you don't know what they are, and it's a new quarterback for your fan base. Baker, you know, as good as he's been this year, we kind of know about his limitations. We know what he is. So for Baker, I, look, I think Baker's good. I mean, I've been saying Baker is better than the likes of Derek Carr. Um, maybe as good as Kirk Cousins. I mean, Kirk Cousins played a little bit better for this year than I thought he would. But in terms of intangibles and just having a rah-rah attitude, I think Baker just pumps your team up better than Kirk. I mean, Kirk is just a steady dad that just comes home to his family and is like, yeah, we win or we lose. I'm a good citizen. Baker, you know, he's a rah-rah guy. He really the guy was out there blocking Nick Bones the other day. Like quarterbacks, don't, <laughs> quarterbacks usually don't do that for your team. Baker, you know, there's just something about him. Guys follow him. Guys believe in him. I think the talent is a little bit underrated too. Baker has legitimately a, a strong arm where he can fire that football into some tight window. The only problem with Baker is I think that he's just a little bit challenged athletically and he hasn't really accepted that. Like he tries to run around too much. Like, bro, like you run like a 4 8 40. Like, come on now. But I mean, yeah, I think the Buccaneers, from a talent perspective, they have the receivers, they have the defense. I think Baker's playing with confidence this year, and Baker's not going to let that team down. Like he, like even even though they may not win the division, we could be wrong. Baker's going to fight to the end. I think that they'll probably win the division just by default. And the Saints, I feel like they'll they'll find some way to pull things up because Derek Carr just hasn't looked the part before. I don't know if it's injuries. I don't know if it's the system fit. But Derek Carr just doesn't look that comfortable in this offense, and it really hasn't been that impressive. He has the receiver. He has the run game. It's like, bro, like, what are you doing? I expect a little bit more. He got outplayed by Joshua Dobbs, fam. Like, even before he went down in that game, like, when Joshua Dobbs was healthy, he looked better. Well, when it comes to Joshua Dobbs, I mean, he's actually played a lot better than people give him credit for. I mean, a lot of people are actually slandering Cleveland Browns for not recognizing, you know, his talent because – if anyone could have saw maybe Joshua Dobbs surprising some people, it was probably Cleveland because he's been in that building for multiple years. Why did you not see the growth in Joshua Dobbs? Why did you not maybe have that insurance plan to where, listen, we can all love Deshaun Watson. I still love Deshaun Watson, but there's reason to believe based on his off-the-field issues and his injury history, you know, even back to Clemson, he had an ACL tear. You know, you probably need a little bit more insurance at quarterback, you know, and they didn't really have – they don't really have that right now. They're still winning because you have Miles Garrett in the great defense. But, yeah, if anyone should be feeling a little bit salty about Joshua Dobbs, it's probably Cleveland. Because let's say they kept Joshua Dobbs and they give the reins to the Tom Watson next year, Joshua Dobbs could have been a heck of a trading team. I truly firmly believe that. So, for the Browns, they kind of have to hold that L. I'm not someone to sit up here and say, oh, like, I called this. Like, he even surprised me. But all I'm saying is, in that building, you probably could have saw that. So if anyone shouldn't have the excuse, it's probably the Browns. But yeah, I think the Buccaneers, getting back to the whole point, they'll probably win the division. All right, everybody. This is our guy, the Juice Alert. Before we let you go, are there any other things that you want to touch on before we let you get up out of here? Nah, man, just follow me on social media. You know, just type in Jamon, G-H-I-M-A-N-M-C-K-I-N-N-E-Y. Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, you'll find me. You obviously have the juicer. We're going to be breaking down a lot more things here on the show. You know, really heading into the new year and the rest of the NFL season. You know, and also, you know, follow me on social media because I do post a lot there. And yeah, appreciate you having me on the show. Keep doing your thing, man. Pleasure to be on. 
I appreciate you for coming on, man. And I appreciate you guys for tuning in to this episode of the JT Sports Podcast. Before you get on out of here, leave a like, subscribe to the channel, check out the audio version of the podcast, Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcast from, the JT Sports Podcast is available. And I will see you guys shortly with another episode. All right.